aspect of who he is and who we are. So honoring the Sabbath reorients our fearful and our cowardly hearts because it lets us see, it reminds us once again how powerful and loving and gracious and kind the God we serve is and who that God says we are. And so when we are, remember, when we are reminded of that, when we take seriously who that God is, we can do whatever he tells us to do because if that God is for us, who could dare come for us any other way. If that God is for us, who can stand against us? This is why Sabbath is a foundation for us being strong and courageous in the Lord. If being courageous then means being willing to go where God says go, when he says go, to open our mouths and speak when God says speak. If being courageous means doing those things that God calls us to do, then honoring the Sabbath can also be seen as a foundation for our Christian action. You and I serve a God of justice. We serve a God who is righteous. We serve a God who says, I will spare nothing to make all things right in me. And so when you and I purpose in our hearts to follow that God, when you and I are strong and courageous in the Lord, you can rest assured that he will lead us to be a people who go to those who need to feel God's touch through our fragile, frail hands. He will lead us to open our mouths and speak for those whose voices have been silenced in our, in our communities. And he will lead us to stand for those who have been pressed down by the weight of injustice. And so this morning, what we're going to look at um, closely is how Sabbath orients us in this way, how Sabbath serves as a foundation for our Christian action and how we ought to understand our actions in this world as people of Christ. And so once again, we have uh, two texts. Our, our primary text for the sermon series, which I'm going to read for you, um, comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And it reads, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. And our second text will come from the book of Leviticus. But before we get there, and yes, I did say the book of Leviticus. Amen. Glory to God. But before we get there, <laughs> uh, just a, a refresher. From, for what was important about this text from last week. The first thing um, is that biblical remembrance, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The act of remembering in the Bible is a call to action. It's not this passive thing. It's not about thinking fondly on the day. It's certainly not trying to remember what day of the week is Sabbath. Remembering, biblical remembrance requires action. God remembered his people and he delivered them in Egypt. Time and time again in First and Second Kings and in First and Second Chronicles, when you see this ebb and flow of good kings and bad kings, what we will often find is a text that says, God remembered his covenant with David 
And because God remembers his covenant with David, his promise that someone from the line of David will forever sit on the throne of Judah, because God remembers, he acts. He acts in very specific ways in the life of the people of Israel. Biblical remembrance requires action. Last week, we also saw that that command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy can be translated another way, which is remember the Sabbath in order to keep it holy. And I like that translation because it, it helps us to see very clearly that us honoring the Sabbath flows out of our remembering, remembering who God is and remembering who he says we are. So this morning, in order to flesh out then how Sabbath orients us towards action, we're going to look at what keeping the Sabbath holy looks like. And I'm not talking about, you know, how you choose to manage your time on the Sabbath day and what work looks like. We're not. But what is the heart of this holiness that we have been called to? What does it mean for us to keep the Sabbath holy. And so our primary text, as I said, comes from the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 25. Um, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, I'm going to read for you chapter, or excuse me, verses 1 through 17. And so I invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. Now, I forgot to do this last week. I have to give you a little refresher. So I'm going to read the, the text. And then at the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of God. And you will say, thanks be to God. Amen. All right. So beginning with verse 25, it reads, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I am going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the earth on the day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 15th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee year for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The, fifth, the 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow and do not reap what grows itself or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since Jubilee. 
and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of God. Amen. You can have a seat. So just a little bit of um, background information about what's happening here. So the, the Sabbath year happened every seven years, and this was a period of celebration. This was a time where people were basically to apply to that entire year what God called them every seventh day to apply. Just like every seven days they had Sabbath rest, every seven years for an entire year. The land, the people, the workers, the animals, every part of the community, every part of God's creation was to have a Sabbath rest. And then every seven Sabbath years, <laughs> there was the year of Jubilee. And this was like the Sabbath year on steroids. This is a year where, again, the land and every inhabitant of it, animals, the people who own the land, the people who work the land, the servants, the ones with power, every single person, every single animal had a Sabbath year. If there were people who were indentured servants, if there were people who were living as slaves, they were to be liberated in the year of Jubilee. If there was land that had been purchased, it was to be transferred back to the original owners in the year of Jubilee. This was a holy reset. It was the ultimate New Year's. I wish we had this today. Hallelujah. That's all right. The text tells us that the price of land was to be governed by this season of Sabbaths. This pattern of Sabbath was intended to be one of the things that oriented the people's lives. Every seven days, Sabbath. Every seven years, Sabbath. Every seven Sabbath years, Sabbath, with an exclamation point. This pattern of Sabbath, this pattern of being reminded by season after season after season, seven years after seven years, jubilee after jubilee, this pattern of Sabbath was intended to orient every aspect of the people's lives. See, Sabbath reminds us as Christians that just like we need to be reminded of who God is, Sabbath reminds us that justice, that God's ways, that his holiness being acted out in our lives, that justice requires practice. So let me give you an illustration of what I mean before I flesh this out. So um, last year, towards the end of last year, one of the ways that God started to deal with me is um, in the area of... Um, I'm gonna be gentle with myself, planning. 
How about we just say that? So if you know me a little bit, and there's some of you who know me, many of you don't, so I now have to confess my, my weaknesses. Um, but if you know me, one of the things that you will know is that I, in the past, have not been the best when it comes to, you know, uh, planning. I am known, or was known, glory to God, for double booking, sometimes triple booking, See, I have this problem. You ask me to do something, if I have the time or think I have the time because I didn't write down what the last person asked me to do, I will say yes. And so often what would happen is I would find myself, again, just maxed out because I had overcommitted. I was terrible at doing things like checking my emails, and I was terrible because what would happen is I knew I had dropped some ball, and so I didn't want to see the email telling me that I had dropped the ball, and so then I just wouldn't check the email as if it would just all go away if I don't look at it. So God started to deal with me in this area because he's a good God. And so I started to look and read um, books. Yes, I did this, read books, look at internet sites about how one plans and discover there's a whole art form to it. Like there's communities of planners. And so God led me to different ways and different strategies to sort of, um, to start to figure out how to, you know, Michelle, you will not remember, write it down. And so I carry with me, I was going to bring it up, but I carry with me at all times a little mini planner so that I always have my calendar. And when someone asks me if I can do something, I can look and see if I am free. And God has radically shifted and changed the way I orient, I am oriented to time. But this is something that I have to practice. It wasn't enough for me to say, I need to start checking my emails. In my little planner, I schedule time each day when I will sit down and check my emails. I had to get into a routine. I had to practice. I had to build habits of planning. And let me tell you how good God is. Because when he started to deal with me about this, I did not necessarily know that my pastor was going to go on sabbatical and what me stepping into that position was going to look like. Now me, this time, December uh, 20, or excuse me, no, 2017, this would have been a hot mess for New Community Bronzeville. But because God is a good God and he is a faithful God, he started to deal with me and he started to change my habits and teach me how to form new habits. See, you and I are habitually unjust. Now that sounds harsh, but just think about the way we are formed. You and I make decisions every single day about where we will go, what we will eat, who we will hang with, how we'll spend our time, and we very rarely give thought to the impact it will have on other people. We think about our own comfort. We think about what we would like. We think about what our own desires are. Maybe we think about how it will impact the people who we can see around us that we know and we love, but we don't really think about going to restaurants in the context of justice or buying clothes in the context of justice. You and I have habits of injustice that have been built in us over time. And deciding, believing, wanting, desiring, being earnest about being just people will not be good enough. We have to build new habits. For years, I wanted to be more organized. That was not good enough. My desire did not do it. I had to build new habits. Sabbath helps us to build those habits. 
Sabbath reminds us of who God is and what he has called us to do. The children of Israel every seven days, every seven years, every seven times seven years had an opportunity to be reminded of what it looks like to be invited to remember who God is and keep his Sabbath holy. Here's the other thing. Sabbath reminds us of what that holiness looked like. It reminds us that you and I have been made stewards, not owners, of what God has created. There's a commentary author by the name of Roy Gaines, and, and he says this, the starting point for consideration of Israelite ownership of the land is the premise that it was all crown property in the sense that it belonged to the divine king. During the Sabbath, the entire land was to rest. Every seventh day, the land got to rest. Every seventh year, the land got to rest. And not just the land, but the people who worked the land. They were constantly reminded and invited to live into a habit of honoring God's creation, all of God's creation, the land, the people. Um, years ago, many, many, many years ago, there was a sermon series that Pastor Peter um, preached, and he preached it a couple times, but the first time he preached it, I'm pretty sure it was on stewardship because this just makes sense, um, but one of the things that he would say is everything comes from God, every, excuse, everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is dispersed by God. And the first time that he preached this sermon series, he had us do these hand motions. Um, so, and it was, everything comes from God, everything belongs to God, and everything is dispersed by God. See, some of you, do, how many people know that, remember that? It's a handful, amen. So that became a kind of uh, joke almost, because it was corny, right? So every, every Sunday when he would preach a sermon from this message, he would, everything comes from God, everything belongs to God, and everything is dispersed by God, and we would all do it together. So here's the thing, though. Maybe another, the next year when um, we were saying we probably need to revisit that stewardship ser sermon series, and he preached it again, he didn't have us do the hand motions, and all of us who made fun of it, we were salty. Like, you're supposed, the hand motions, we need the hand motions. The hand motions. <laughs> But here's the thing. It has been, I'm going to say nearly a decade. It's probably been over a decade, but we're just going to pretend. So it's been nearly a decade since I heard Pastor Peter preach that sermon series. It has been surely a decade since we did the, the little hand motions. But every time I think of Christian stewardship, I find myself thinking of that. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God and everything is dispersed by God. See, that's what the Sabbath is supposed to do for us. It's this way of reorienting us. It's this way of building a habit in us, something that will stick in our mind so that we remember what God's order is. Just like those little hand motions. It's a way to remind us. It's God's invitation for us to regularly step into a practice of honoring all of his creation. It helps us to build a rhythm, a habit of justice, because we serve a just God who said everything belongs to me and I give it freely to you to steward over for the good of all of my creation. 
what are the rhythms of your life? What are the desires that you nurture? What are the desires that you nurture sometimes without even thinking about it? What are the habits that orient your spending? What are the habits that orient the way you use your time? Sabbath invites us to regularly reflect on these questions. God, am I being oriented by you, by your will, by your call, by your activity in this world? Or am I being oriented, are my actions, are my motives, are they being oriented by my own desires, my own comfort, my own desire for safety? Most of us don't think about justice when we make decisions about where we will send our children to school, what communities we will live in, what stores we will shop in, what technology we will purchase. Most of us don't think about God's call on our lives or how God might be moving in this world and in this season. Most of us don't think about that when we go about the practices of our day-to-day life. Sabbath invites us to reflect on that to remember who God is, who he has called us to be, and what he is doing in the world. What are the rhythms of your life? This brings us to a third point. Sabbath was for everyone and for everything. For everyone and for everything. The way the people of Israel were to view one another was through the lens of Sabbath. Lots of people have tackled the question of of slavery in the Bible and why God would allow slavery in the Bible. Um, But here's what I will say. One, we know that biblical servitude and slavery was absolutely not chattel slavery that we experience in the United States. And it also did not look like the kind of slavery that is going on still today, even right now as I am holding this mic and preaching this sermon. That's not what biblical slavery looked like, but you know what? If I am a servant, I probably don't feel the best about that. But how people interacted with each other, even how servants interacted with those they served was shaped by this rhythm of Sabbath. In the year of Jubilee, everybody went back to their own land. Lands were returned. People who were servants were released. How people related to one another through Sabbath, there was still an orientation of care and concern. There was an orientation that said everything is supposed to rest. This means that Sabbath was not an invitation for those who were powerful to make those who were less powerful work harder so that they could rest. Sabbath was not an invitation to overwork the land so that you could have enough once it was time for the land to rest. Sabbath was an invitation to remember that everything, in fact, belongs to God, and he so loves this world, and so Sabbath invites us to treat each other and treat his creation like that's true, and we believe it. Sabbath is an invitation to be reminded that we are called to be about God's business. And God's business is always about just action in this world. No one and no thing was to work or be worked during the Sabbath. 
It was a time for all of God's creation equally to rest. So here's the thing, as much as I wish we could sound a trumpet and have a year of Jubilee, um, as much as I would love the Sabbath to look exactly like this, because I, you know, I have some debts I would like to be forgiven of, amen, all right. As much as I would like that, <laughs> that is not the reality that you and I live in. So then the question is, well, what does this look like for us? Because we are not agricultural, we don't have necessarily lands that we will return to, this is not the way we practice Sabbath and Jubilee, it doesn't mean that we get to disregard it. At the very least, Sabbath orients us towards justice by keeping these questions before us. How does my lifestyle prevent others from experiencing God's Sabbath rest? How does my lifestyle prevent God's creation as a whole from being able to experience Sabbath rest? Who suffers so that I can be comfortable? What children go without so that my children can have all the things I desire to give them? And I can because I've worked hard enough, you see. Whose shoulders do we stand on? It's not enough for you and I to say, I will honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, and in the same breath, think nothing of our brothers and our sisters who suffer all over this world. Today, we live in a country that is at war. We have been at war for almost an entire generation. There are people who are now grown who were born in this country, and we have been in a time of war. I am willing to bet Therefore, at least 99.9% .9 of us in this room, that we are at war does not enter our minds unless we are watching the news and it happens to like come up that, you know, we should support our troops, right? Like we don't, this isn't something that we think about on a regular basis. But on this day, as I am preaching this sermon, there are families in Yemen whose children were bombed, intentionally bombed, targeted, just a few days ago. Right now, as I am speaking, the countries that we are at war with, there are people who are regularly suffering. They absolutely know that they are at war. They absolutely know that they are a generation who has grown up in wartime. They have not experienced peace and they don't get to forget it because they can hear missiles fly overhead. I'm always amazed when we have our um, air and water show. We love to come out and you know see our, the air airplanes, I don't know why I couldn't remember that word, but the airplanes do all their maneuvers and things like that. It always amazes me. Even, even the 4th of July, and we have our fireworks ceremonies, and we do all these great things. And I'm not saying that these are bad things, but many of us do these things without thought, that the very sounds and sights that thrill us, the very sounds and sights that excite us are terrifying. Somewhere right now in this world, there are children, there are mothers, there are fathers who are terrified by the kinds of sounds and sights that just excite and delight us. Sabbath reminds us that God cares about all of his creation. And it invites us to be thoughtful and to be prayerful about how he is moving in the world and what he might be calling us to do in the world.
in this city, it's so interesting to be on the, on the north side, it is often said um, that there was an article that was written, I think, in 2014, and it comes up in different ways um, at different times, but this idea that there are two Chicagos. There's a Chicago that is very well-resourced. There's a Chicago in which families with young children can decide to send their kids to their nearest public school and trust that they'll get a good education. There's a Chicago that has economic development. And then there is a Chicago that has been completely disinvested in. There's a Chicago where there are poor schools, poor educational outcomes, and where violence is a regular thing. There's a Chicago in which the only time you really actually have to care about the gun violence in Chicago is when like your out-of-state friends or family call you to say, what is going on in your city? I heard on the news that there was these shootings. And then there's a Chicago in which the trauma that comes with living with violence on a regular basis is carried by the people all the time. There's not an option to forget about it. There's not an option to just close your eyes and pretend it isn't there. There are two Chicago's. But there is one church. Sabbath reminds us that the one church, wherever that church may be located, is called to participate in God's activity in the world. In one Chicago, it's easy to believe the lie that black people only protest when there's police violence. In another Chicago, there is the reality that local churches and people and community organizations are fighting tirelessly, tirelessly, tirelessly on a regular basis, giving their literal blood, sweat, and tears trying to address the, the, the ills, the problems in their communities. Sabbath invites all of us to say, I will not close my eyes because God cares for all of his creation. And so I need to be about my father's business. Sabbath invites us to be discerning of where God would have us to be and how he would have us to use our time and our resources and our voices and our hands and our feet. Sabbath reminds us that we serve a God who says, I so love all of you that I gave my one and my only son. And so here, here's the good news. Because these sermons like this have um, two effects, usually. When we start talking about like issues of justice or injustice, um, and especially in the church, it's easy for us to one, either feel like, oh good, I heard a good sermon, I've done my part and I can go on and forget about it. Or to become overwhelmed to feel like there's just so much injustice. <laughs> like, what could we possibly do? So I, I have had the experience of teaching uh, sociology students, college students taking like a social 101 class or um, a social problems class. And one of the things that will happen towards the end of a semester is that people are like, <laughs> like you have now shown me everything that's wrong with the world and I don't know anything that I could possibly do about it. And when we feel like that, Nope, that's a, that doesn't feel good. And so what we do is we run away. The good news is that Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. So God's call to participate in his activity is not God's call to go out and make it happen in your own strength. Sabbath invites us 
to paradoxically live into this world where we get to rest in God. And resting in God is the very thing that situates us to be his hands and his feet in the world. That's an amazing blessing. Sabbath reminds us that it's not about you doing more and being better, making better choices. It's about you submitting to a God who says, I love you and I've already called you to some things. I have some purpose for your life. Remember that. Live into that. Use my strength that is perfected in your weakness. Sabbath is a reminder that when we feel overwhelmed by the problems of the earth, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We are simply called to submit to him. And that sounds easy, but it is the exact opposite of everything our society tells us to do. And so it has to become a habit for you. You will not submit to him because you heard a couple good sermons. You will not be able to have a habit of Sabbath and a habit of justice just because you read a word and you felt really good about it on Monday. Sabbath reminds us, and this season, this practice, this rhythm of Sabbath reminds us that we have to regularly be reoriented. And God invites us to come, to taste and to see and to be reminded once again that he is good and he has prepared good work for us in advance. Not so that we can try to earn his love, but because he loves us so much that he said, I desire you to be co-creators with me. So we are gonna transition to communion. And I love communion. Now, in Bronzeville, um, we're a little bit more liturgical than y'all are here. <laughs> so, so we have a whole liturgy that we go through, and we, we celebrate communion once a month. Um, you all do too, but we do it like on the first Sunday. Uh, and so we have this ritual that we, that we do. And I love ritual. I love um, liturgy. I, I love it. I love hymns. I love to sing these things that are old. I love to live into these things that are old and that our ancestors and those who have come before us have lived into. But one thing that I have found that is true about ritual is that often, because it's ritual, because we do it often and over and over again, it can sometimes lose its power and its meaning. That's how come you can walk into a church that's singing Amazing Grace and it sounds like they're, I, I don't know, singing a death march. Because we lose the, the, the weight of what we're saying and the weight of what we're doing. So as we participate in this ritual that has been going on since before our Savior died, as we celebrate communion, I hope that you will remember that when we take bread and we dip it in what is juice and represents the blood of Christ, when we eat the body and the blood of Jesus, we are to be reminded that it is not us, but it is him in us. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, who gave himself for us. I hope that this practice will be one of those things that orients us and reorients us towards a God who says, I love you, and not just you. I love my entire creation, and I spared nothing 
in order to be in relationship with you. And so on the night when Jesus was portrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This cup represents the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you confess, you proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection until he comes again. This is the table that you are invited to come to. And so I'm going to not hurt myself and come down these stairs. And I invite you, um, when you are ready, to come and celebrate the Lord's table.
It's who you are, yes. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. 